You know, we uh, have been in our series here in 1 John for a few weeks. That thing you do, journeying through life with Jesus. And last week we talked about how to, how to find out what choice was the right choice. How to, how to uh, determine the good from the bad. We've talked about not loving the world and, and only loving the Father. We've talked about all of these things. And, and John is gearing up here because he, in the very next verse, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. In the next verse, he begins to talk about um, the quickness with which these things are going to happen. So we are in 1 John chapter 2, uh, and we're going to start in verse 18 this morning. And we're going to see the message that John has for the churches that he is writing to. And it starts here and it says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you have knowledge. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. And if you... What you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He Himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you about those who were trying to deceive you. The anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, just as He has taught you to remain in Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, we thank you, we praise you for your blessing. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time. Father, use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel with the word that I speak. Be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people say. Amen. Amen. He starts out by saying that believers must have a sense of urgency to live for Jesus. He's gone through all of these things. How to live how to love God, how to confess your sins, how to make the right choice, and all of these things He's told us to do. And then He goes on to say that we have to have an urgency. It's the last hour. It's the last hour. You know, we need to know that something is coming. The last days. Throughout the New Testament, we're warned that we must live with this expectant urgency. This isn't a, a new theology. It's not a new thought. Jesus was saying it back in Matthew 24. When he says, be alert since you don't know when your Lord is coming. In Mark 13, the day or hour, no one knows. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, for you yourself know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. There is an urgency in our lives because time is limited. The problem that we have is that we seem to live our lives as if time is never going to run out. I can always share Jesus with my friend later. I can always tell my family about Jesus later. There's always going to be that time later. But we're not promised a later. We're not promised tomorrow. We're promised right now. And we have to live our lives with an urgency to share the love of Jesus with those around us. If we don't have that urgency, what are we? It's when we lose a sense of urgency 
that the church becomes a country club rather than a, rather than a hospital. When we lose a sense of urgency, we don't see growth because people are going, well, I can talk to them later. I can tell them tomorrow. I don't know how many times there have been people that I thought I could talk to tomorrow that tomorrow didn't come. That they just weren't there. That the next morning I woke up and they had passed on. They had gone somewhere else. And I live with this knowledge of not knowing. Not knowing what decision they may have made. And not knowing if I have failed. There is an urgency that has to happen. It is the last hour. It is the last hour. But he goes on to talk about something. He says believers should possess an awareness and caution for those who claim faith but are not of the faith. He literally calls them antichrists. Now, I'm not going to get off of the charts and everything else because I'm going to tell it how the Bible tells it. The Bible says what? Anybody who does not claim Jesus, anyone who speaks against Jesus is an antichrist. Not one figure, many figures. He says, many have come. I know you've heard this, but I'm telling you, even though you've heard this, that the Antichrist is coming, I'm telling you the Antichrists have already come. They're already there. And you have to be on guard for what people are saying and what they're doing. Matthew 7, 21 says, what? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's one of those things where we tend to look at people and look at the outside and not really look and, and dig down and see. We're called to test these things and to be on guard for these things. Because if we don't, it's very easy for us to fall into a place where anybody who just says they know what God wants has to be right. That's not what the Scripture says. John tells his people here to be on guard. Be on guard to know what's being said. Be on guard to know whether or not what is being told to you and said to you is true. I would suggest that it's better to be with unbelievers than to be with false believers. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what Jesus was crucified for? He didn't go around with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those that John would call the Jews. Jesus spent His time with who? Tax collectors, sinners, drunkards, those with leprosy, those who were outcasts. That's where Jesus spent His time. And so we are called to watch and see and see who these people are because He is calling an Antichrist someone who was once in His fellowship. Oh, we don't do that, right? We, we, we can't talk bad about that because they were once one of us. That's not what John's doing. John says, look, they used to be here. They used to sit at the table with us. They used to sit back there in the middle pew saying hallelujah whenever I said whatever I said. That's who they used to be. They were here. But they went out from us. According to John here, adherence to the walk of faith is proof of that faith. He said, if you stay, I know you're ours. The fact that they left means they never belonged to us. The fact that they weren't here means they were never ours. That's what John was saying. He said they may have claimed it. They may have said it. But they walked out. Earlier in the chapter, what did he say about love? Over in John 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Earlier in this chapter, he talks about the commandments. And what other commandments? Following him. Doing what he's called us to do. Making sure that we are living the life that, that Christ has called us to. Because he says here, but you have an anointing. You have an anointing. 
You who are here, you who I'm writing to, you have an anointing. You have something there that, that sets you apart. You have something that, that makes you different. The anointing that John is speaking of here is the indwelling Holy Spirit. You have the anointing. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit that is within you does great things for you. He speaks of this as an assurance to those who may be worried, am I one of them? Think about it. And he's writing this letter, and he says, well, if you do what you're supposed to do, and you stick to it, you're one of ours. But if you don't stick to it, you're not one of ours. And there are people who are with us who aren't ours, aren't ours and they're going to leave to confirm that they aren't ours. Can you imagine how confusing that might be to someone sitting in that, that church? This is being read, and they're going, well, am, am I one of those? Do, do I really know Jesus? Am, am, am I one of those who are going to leave? Is this me? But he speaks of this anointing, this Holy Spirit, as an assurance to those who might be wondering, am I one of those? Do I know those? Because the anointing here is the Spirit that does great things. How do I know that this anointing is the Holy Spirit? Because of the work he talks about the Spirit doing. I have written to you because you don't know. I have written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And no lie can come from the truth. And he talks about the power here that all of you have knowledge. That's what the Holy Spirit's work was when you read over in the Gospel of John, right? That he was going to come and bring us all knowledge. He was going to teach us things. He was going to reveal us things. You don't have to be taught, he says, because you have an anointing. Because you have the Spirit. You, have, you know these things. The Holy Spirit empowers us not just to have faith, but to discern what is of the faith. One of John's challenges right now is this idea of Gnosticism that is popping up in the world around him. These people who were saying, I have a secret faith. I have secrets that I can reveal to you that will open up what Jesus is saying. Jesus said what Jesus said pretty plainly. He, he, didn't, he, he didn't mince words. He, he, he didn't say, here's this code for you to know. Yes, He talked in parables. And He said, if you have ears to hear, you'll understand it. He talked in that way so people who aren't supposed to hear can't understand it. But He didn't talk in such a way that we have to have some code. There was this thing that came out a few years back. I'm going to step on some notes. Um, that was the Bible code. That you had to have a computer to discern the secret code written in the Bible. What? No, there's no secret code in the Bible. The code of the Bible is this. Jesus loves me, this I know. Amen. The Bible tells me so. That's the code of the Bible. It's pretty plain. It's pretty certain. And so the Holy Spirit gives us the power to discern what is of the faith. He says you don't need a teacher. These people coming in telling you there are secrets that you don't know. There are things that you can unlock if you'll just listen to the path that I tell you. If you'll do that, you can unlock wondrous things. That is not what you need. He says the Holy Spirit is that voice, that alarm, that pins and needles feeling. That thing that makes you say, I don't think this is right. You ever been in one of those spots? I was in one of those spots once a long time ago. And I got in trouble because I opened my mouth. Um, you'll figure. Um, I was 16 years old, sitting in the front row of a church. Party. 
sitting in the front row of a church and the pastor read something out of the Bible. And I read it in my Bible. And then he said something. And I read it in my Bible again. And I said, I thought in my head, but it wasn't. My Bible doesn't say that. All sorts of alarms were going off in my head. Because this was the man that was supposed to be leading me toward what God wanted me to do. But yet he was saying something here that seemed quite contrary to what Scripture was plainly saying to me. And so that is what the Spirit does. The Spirit allows us not just to have faith, but to discern what is of the faith. And there are teachings out there that aren't of the faith. There are teachings that will drag us down. But we have to be on guard against teachings that contradict the gospel. If it contradicts the gospel, we shouldn't follow it. Matthew 7 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Paul warns of the same thing at least twice. In Galatians 1 he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. Okay, kids, close your eyes because I'm going to tell you what the Greek says right now. He literally says, May they be damned. That's the Greek. If they preach to you, if an angel comes and says this, if an angel shows up and says something contrary to what may they have a curse, may they be thrown into the pit, may they be gone. 2 Corinthians 11, he also says, a person comes and preaches another Jesus who we didn't preach, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, but yet you put up with it splendidly. You just let them do it. Anything that perverts the gospel is anathema. Anything that takes away from the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross and the power of the Spirit coming into our lives because of that death and resurrection is anathema. It's cursed. We shouldn't follow it. That's what, that's what John says. And he has people coming into his church saying these things. Well, you're part of the way there. You believe in Jesus. You believe He rose from the dead. But i got some secrets I can tell you. And if you'll just do these things and have this secret knowledge, then you'll really know the power of God. But that's not what the Gospel says. The Gospel says if you know Jesus and the power of His resurrection, you know the power of God. There's no secret. There's nothing else that we have to know because... Because God has given us plainly in His Scripture what we need to know. So, the seventh mark of an authentic Christian life is an urgency to live for Jesus while guarding against the false teachings of the world. Have you looked at the world today? People are dying every day. Every second. And some of them don't know Jesus. And that should break our heart. That should make us absolutely brokenhearted because somebody might not go to heaven.
But sometimes I'm afraid we've made church too easy. But Brother Troy, I'm there on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and when we have special events. Okay. Remember over to Matthew though when they said, but we preached for you. We prophesied for you. We did miracles for you. Sound familiar? There has to be an urgency. We have to, we have to desperately want to take Jesus to those who are dying out there. And know that they need Him. Here's my question that I'm going to leave you with today. Does whether or not the people out there know Jesus matter to you? I mean, really matter. Sweet. We spend time and energy and money on things that matter to us. We just did. Are we spending time and energy and money to take the gospel to people out there? If we aren't, we need to be. If each of us in this room shared Jesus with one person this week, how many connections is that for the gospel? If one third of those people accepted Jesus, how many people are in the kingdom? Hughes back living way out in the oil field. And I remember somebody had put the wrong price in the gas pump at the station in town. And that spread with a sense of urgency that you couldn't believe. Jesus died for our sins and gave us the ability to spend eternity with Him. Shouldn't that spread with the same sense of urgency so that people can know that there is hope in this hopeless world? Do you feel that urgency today? Maybe this morning. Maybe you haven't felt urgency in a while. Maybe, maybe you've been comfortable. Maybe you have your place in the pew and it is, it is formed to you at this point. Because this is where I sit and it's comfortable and it's me. I would, I would suggest that you begin to stand on the promises of Jesus and quit sitting on the uh, assurances of Jesus. Go out there and tell people this is a hope that you can have in this world. And it may cost you friends. But I would rather risk losing my friends than never telling them about the gift that God has given.
Maybe this morning you just want to pray. The altar is open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve in the missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe this morning you have some need that I haven't mentioned. Come down. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe, maybe you've, you've always sat here and you've always heard it, but you've never taken that step. Now's the time. You're just down the I'll say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, so we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.